Well, good morning, and uh, please forgive my my voice today. It uh, is my uh, Morgan Freeman impersonation. Uh, no, I'm struggling with a cold. Lori caught back from Nepal, and she brought me something, a cold. You hike in the Himalayas, I guess that's what happens. Uh, no, she brought me a, a, a drink today. I've never heard of it. It's called a medicine bomb or something like that. And I'm just hoping it doesn't have anything special in it. But uh, anyway, I should be okay for a while, uh, at least this service. Uh, good, good to be with you today and tomorrow and just this season and how incredibly awesome and stressful, as, as Wade alluded to a few moments ago. It kind of comes with the highs and the highs and the lows and the lows, the best of times and the worst of times. You know, you come to this time of year and it's the best of times because you get the recipes that you don't get any other time. Time of the year. You get that food, that, that, that recipe that's been tucked away in the cabinet and they break it out and it's only this time of year. How many of y'all have had something already that is absolutely incredible and you only get to have it once a year? Raise your hand. All right. All right. Good. So a number of you guys are like that. Now, the problem with that is, is that we tend to kind of go a little overboard. So the best of times, worst of times is we eat too much and we gorge ourselves. Again, it only happens once a year. We self-justify because it only happens once a year. I only get this food once a year and we go into that kind of mode. And then it's the best of times in that we get to see family. Uh, family, maybe we haven't seen all years. Family the far off and, and, and so forth. In fact, let me see another raise of hand today. If you're here from out of town, raise your hand. Grace Point, or North Point, Arkansas is not your home. Great. Good number. Welcome our, our guest today. Glad to have you with us. I'm glad you chose to be with us uh, on, on this uh, Lord's Day and hopefully again, come back tomorrow night. But it's also the worst of times because not only do you get to see your family, but you've got to see some of those families. Uh, you know, everyone has a cousin Eddie. Again, a show of hands. If you have a cousin Eddie, raise your hand and you're going to see that cousin Eddie at some point in the next few days. And so again, you got to remember those times, best of times, worst of times, best in that it's, uh, you get nice, shiny, fancy, new presents under the tree and there's great anticipation of what it is, unless you picked it all out and wrapped it yourself for yourself. Uh, of course, that's the way we do it, uh, Lori and I anyway, but, uh, or it's the worst because now you have to pay for all the stuff that you don't now get to play with. You have to give it all away. And uh, of course, don't go out and try to shop right now. I was just on the road just yesterday. I can't believe all those who have waited the last moment, all those men out there waiting to the last moment to get it. It's raining men in stores right now. And so be, be ever aware. Um, we talked about, uh, and I really have this aspiration every year coming around. I think, okay, I want to live this Christmas without regret. I don't want to go and eat too much. I don't want to spend too much. I don't want to, you know, and then have to spend the next six months paying for it or getting, losing what I gained, whatever the case may be. So I, you know, you kind of, you kind of dial it in, bring it in. Let's do it now. Let's not wait till the, not, let's all wait till the end. And I know we're just a day away from the Christmas Eve. So it's kind of late to be talking about this, but let's, let's maybe before Christmas Eve comes, before Christmas comes, that we can maybe reset some things. And so last week we talked about just some moves that we can make to make this the best Christmas to increase our joy, uh, hopefully reduce our stress, but I certainly want to have the best Christmas ever. And we want 
one of those ways we talked about last week is choose thankfulness. Now notice, I didn't say just be thankful. You have to choose it. There are some circumstances of life we have no control over. They are all around us, they're about us, and they're pressing in on us, and we can't seem to get out from under them. But what do we do in those situations? Yes, even in those situations, in all things, in everything, we give thanks according to 1 Thessalonians. But also, it's in or for all things that we are supposed to give thanks. So that's really hard, and that's a choice that we have to make. We have to make the choice to rejoice. Again, that's last week's message. But one of the things I want to, I didn't have time to go into it last week. I want to mention it this week because literally you will change your life if you choose thankfulness. Two studies that were done, one in 2011, one in 2012 that were published, at least in these journals of psychology, uh, that, that speak to this, that literally if you choose Thanksgiving, that you will have a decrease in pain, physical pain in the body. Think about that. You will have a decrease in physical pain in the body. And the second study that was published said that you will actually increase the quality of your sleep. Your, 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 your sleep patterns will go. Your sleep cycles will be deeper. You will have longer, better sleep. You will, body aches will go away. So one of the remedies of life, not pop a new pill, but actually maybe just choose thankfulness in our life. And again, everything I'm going to talk about here is really not just limited to one season of the year, Thanksgiving or Christmas time and this whole holiday season, but actually we could do this all year round. In fact, we should do this all year round, that we will actually choose thankfulness. And really what Christmas is, is a microcosm of, of, of the whole year. Again, we're spending, we're eating, we're traveling, we're doing, we're going, but we just kind of cram it all in this little short month long period. And so let's just now branch it out over the full year. Let's choose thankfulness. Now, tomorrow night, uh, there's going to be three of these key moves that we're going to make. We're going to talk about point number or move number three tomorrow night. We don't want to miss that one. Uh, but that's our tomorrow afternoon and evening. Again, choose your time and come and be a part of that. But today I want to talk about number two, the the second move that we can make, and that is to learn contentment. If we can learn contentment before Christmas ever comes, it will make Christmas a much more enjoyable time. It'll make life much more enjoyable time. When I talk about contentment, it's not a spiritual gift. It's not It's not even listed among the fruits of the Spirit. It's not that at all. It's not something that you have to be specially endowed with contentment, like you're some Mother Teresa out there. But literally, we have to learn it. It's not something that we just simply choose. You have to learn it. We choose thankfulness, but we learn contentment. And sometimes we have to learn that in different schools of situations that we go through uh, of life, and most of it will come through life circumstances. I think about Neil Borman, an English writer, a British writer, uh, talked about his own personal addiction to brands. Again, addiction to brands. He said it like this, from an early age, I have been taught that to be accepted, to be lovable, to be cool, to be, to, one must have the right stuff. At junior school, I, I tried to make friends with popular kids only to be ridiculed for the lack of stripes on my trainers. Once I had nagged my parents to the point of buying me the shoes, I was duly accepted at school. And I became much happier as a result, as long as my parents continued to buy me the brands. Life was more fun 
Now, at the age of 31, I still behave according to those playground law. And I wonder, some of us, if we've not failed to grow up in one area of our life, and that we continue to chase, continue to look after that name brand, that look, that image that we want to put out there on our Instagram, that we want to put out there in our, in our, in our, in our social medias, that we want to put out there with our friends and colleagues at work, that we want to put out there. Uh, you, are we, are we, are we consumed with stuff to communicate who we are? On the inside, we want to say, hey, this is the value that I have in life. Think about that. William Wilberforce said, prosperity hardens the heart. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that prosperity is the evil, that it's the end all, it's, the, it's going to be the corruption of us all. But it just has a, it has a tendency to lead us to a more hardened self. You don't believe me? You want to push against Wilberforce on that? Go ahead, because Hosea the prophet will tell you the same thing. In Hosea 13, verse 6, this is what God said through the prophet Hosea. I gave them food. They became full and satisfied, but then they became proud and forgot me. Let those words sink in. They forgot me. When did they forget me? They forget, they forgot me when they became satisfied. I can tell you this from my personal experience and my own struggles and also in seeing in people's life. I see more people walk away from the faith in prosperity times than I do in hard times. Times get good. I don't need God. I don't need prayer. I don't need, I don't, I, I got, I, I'm, I'm able body, per, I can do this myself. And we walk away from God and the word satisfied can have a good meaning and it can have a negative meaning. When I'm satisfied, then, then I have a sense of contentment about me. At the same time, when I'm satisfied, there's a complacency that can come over me. And we kind of have to be aware of the two. What's going on inside of me? Am I feeling complacent or am I feeling content? Content in what's going on around me. Think about it. Take about, take it to your marriage, for example. You can become satisfied or complacent in your marriage. And all of a sudden wake up one morning to a note, to a conversation, to a, to a very hard conversation that we're through. I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm packing up. I've got plans. I'm moving on and I'm leaving this to you. I didn't, had no clue it was coming. I dare say that anytime that happens, that's probably a sign that somebody wasn't fully tuned in and wasn't fully aware. And that complacency slips into a marriage. It can be a dangerous thing. When it slips into any part of our life, it can be a dangerous thing. At, at the other end of that is, is this, uh, this idea of contentment. That's what we want. We're going to have a, a marriage uh, conference as we do annual, annually here, just a marriage enrichment time. I think everybody needs to tune up. We just scheduled them in. Because of your faithful, consistent, budgeted generosity, we're able to do this for free. And we're going to have a couple come in April. And this couple is literally, they just celebrated their 13th second anniversary because they divorced 13 years ago or 14 years ago because one of them became complacent in their marriage and what happened then was a ripple effect that ended up leading their marriage to, to the dark hole and ultimately divorce but they just celebrated this past week their 13th second anniversary they're going to be here in April to talk about just to warn us hey you got to be careful complacency will slip in 
It's very real. It's a very real situation that comes on. So you need to think about it as a continuum. Somewhere on this continuum, where am I? Complacency at one end of the spectrum. Covetedness at the other end of the spectrum. And where I need to be is in that sweet spot in the middle where I am appreciating where I am valuing, where I am finding and nurturing and protecting with joy what God has given me. That whatever God you've given me, I am finding it, I am nurturing it, I am protecting it. Because I value it because you value it. And it's not what I don't have. And it's not what I'm looking for. Contentment is where we're aiming for. It's what Paul talks about. He learned it. He knows it. He mentions it four times. He knows, he knows, he learned, he learned. Four different times he talks about this, this acquired knowledge that he has, has got in life. He even at one point calls it a secret. If you have your Bibles, open the book of Philippians chapter four. It's a secret out there. It's a secret sauce. It's the, the Coca Cola formula, if you will, of, of what it means to have a joy filled life in a, in that. And one of those, one of the ways we're going to have a Christmas that we'll never forget, we'll always remember a life that, that is full of joy is because we're going to learn contentment. And if we don't, we'll constantly be scratching and clawing for what's on the other side. What's the next promotion? What's the next car? What's the next, 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 whatever, the next relationship, the next, we'll fill in the blank, the next degree, the next whatever, the next home. You can fill it in. But in Philippians chapter four, at the closing of the letter, really Paul is writing a thank you letter. Epaphras has just brought him a gift from the church of Philippi across land and sea, made it all the way to Rome where Paul is in prison. And Paul's writing a thank you letter back to the church at Philippi. And it oozes with joy in Paul's letter. We studied it a couple of years ago. Go back and listen to it online. But I love the statements that he makes in here because in chapter four alone, he mentions rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, almost every chapter he mentions rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. But I want us to look at here closely at this one because he's not just simply got a little bit of joy, got a little bit of warm fuzzy going on. He's got this over an abundance amount of joy. Let's look at verse 19 it says, or verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, I just want you, if you have your Bibles open or you have your uh, Bibles on your phone and you can highlight, they have that feature available, then go ahead and do this. Highlight the word rejoice and highlight the word greatly. The, the word greatly here is a very key word. It's megaleo. It's only used one, megaleos, excuse me, it's only used one time in the entire New Testament. But I love this word because the word megaleos, mega, he had mega joy. We know what mega is when we talk about something big and ginormous and something that's out of this world, something that you can't put your arms around. We talk about our computers having megabytes and we talk about mega drinks and mega this. And, and you think about this, what Paul is saying here, he says, I have joy that's mega joy. So I want to tap into his mega joy, his secret sauce, if you will. So let's keep reading. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, megaoys, that now at length you have received your concerns for me. 
You have indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Basically, Paul was, they were concerned because Paul was in prison in Rome because he was a Christian and they were concerned about him and now they've taken action. They sent Epaphroditus across the way to, 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 to take a gift, to bring a, a, a gift to him. And then here, here we go, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, I have learned, here's the first time, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know, first time he says no, I know how to be brought low, and I know, second time, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, the second time he uses the word learn, the secret of facing plenty and a hunger and abundance and in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was, it was kind of you to share. My, share my trouble. And you Philippians, now notice he gets very specific speaking to the, it's the, it's as if he is like, hey, Mike, listen in. Hey, hey, Jack, listen to this. I'm talking specifically to you. He gets very intimate here. He says, you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, now Macedonia, if you think about Greece, the, the country of Greece, and the northern part of, 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 of Greece today is what was used to be Macedonia. And Macedonia is where Thessalonica is, is where, is where Philippi is. And, but uh, today the border crosses and, and Greece is a little bit larger. Um, and so he, he talks about just north of Greece here. No church entered into a partnership with me. In giving and, can, and, and receiving, except you only. You only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more than I am. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And then he brings in an Old Testament phraseology here. Because when you give an offering in the Old Testament, it's referred to God as it is a sweet aroma to God. When you give an offering, is it a sweet aroma to God? Because Paul looked at this and he said, listen, what you gave is a sweet, fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours. So what happens now, he turns it back to them. You gave, but now what's going to happen is God's going to give back to you according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I love that phrase because it's like you gave, but what God's going to do, he's going to give back to you, but he's He's not going to give back to you according to what you have. He's going to give back to you what, according to what he has. You cannot outgive God. How do we learn? What are the lessons of contentment? Lesson number one is the insignificant of things. So much of our time in our, in our life, at the stage and age that I am in life, I'm I'm looking at my 403B. I'm looking at my retirement. I'm planning out there. I know you should start that way early, okay? And so if you're in your 20s and you're starting your first career, start now, okay? Don't wait till later. But what, what, what are you worth? What's your net worth? And then I want to ask you, what's your real worth, not your net worth? Because your real worth is 
adding up everything in life that money can't buy and death can't take away. That's what you're really worth. Add up everything in life that death, that money can't buy and death can't take away. And you'll have what is of real value. The former Reserve Board Chairman Alan Greenspan was speaking to a Harvard graduating class, and you can just imagine they got dollar signs in their mind because of what the school loans they got to pay back, but also what they're planning on making and they get out of school. And this is what Greenspan said. Uh, he said this, a material existence that, that these graduates were entering into, a material existence that neither my generation nor any that preceded it could ever remotely have imagined. We live in the most prosperous Prosperous day. I don't care what you've been looking at the stock market the past two weeks. I get it. Mine's there too. But the reality is that we are still so incredibly filthy rich. How much more is going to take? Historians said it like this. The average American today lives better than the millionaires in the 1800s. Think about that. We are a very wealthy people. Go back to the Greeks and they say it like this, to whom little is not enough, nothing is enough. So you come to Paul's writings here. And Paul talks about both extremes. He talks about it in verse 11. He said this, he said, not that I am speaking and being in need, for I have learned that whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low. I know how to be impoverished. I know how to not want know where my next meal is going to come from. I know how to, to be that person who's literally living hand to mouth. I know how to do that. And I know how to abound. To have my bank account full, my five oh, my 401k full. I know how. I know how to have a lot. I've learned how. And it's not having more and staying out of the, the, the poor house. That's not the secret to this. The secret is contentment. Learning to be content. Now, Paul borrows from here from a very unique Greek word here, the word content. It means the idea of self-reliant. Now, not to where I could do it myself and all that kind of sense. It's actually, actually he's drawing from the Stoics of the, of the first century, which again, you got to just understand the Greek history and where Stoicism and, and, and Epicureanism and all of the philosophies of our day and in Athens, where again, you got all this academies and the, and, and Socrates and Plato and all that, 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 that that thought was out there. Well, uh, in, in, in the writings uh, of, of the Stoics, they actually believed that you needed to separate yourself from everything, emotionally, physically, whatever, so that literally, literally, you could commit suicide and nobody would grieve over you. Stoicism, gone awry. But whenever what Paul says here, he's not referring to I became a Stoic, but I've just learned that I don't need that stuff. Whatever that stuff is, I don't need that stuff to make me happy. I've got mega joy, remember? I've got mega joy and it's not related to my bottom line. It's not related to my 401k. I'm reminded of what the Proverbs said, what, what Solomon, rich King Solomon, who we're going to be studying in the, in the new year in our margin series. And by the way, on your way out today, if you, if you want to invite somebody, you think, I know some people who need some margin in their life. We have some invite cards that you can just grab a handful on your way out and invite somebody starting in the new year if you want to be a part of that. But here's one of the writings of, of Solomon whenever he said in Proverbs 30, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Well, he's literally praying, I want to be middle class, God. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may, be too, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and dishonor the name of my God. When I think about the words of Jesus, Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven or hell. Now think about that. He spoke more about money than he did about prayer. And I believe in prayer. And I know Jesus believed in prayer because his disciples asked him to teach us how to pray. But he talked more about money than he did about anything else. But yet we have a hard time hearing it in the church because it makes us uncomfortable. Why? Because it gets to our heart. And that's what Jesus was saying in one of those verses in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's why, it's why I, have, I have landed on a firm conviction. If I really, really, really wanted to assess myself, and I really, really, really want to help you assess you and your heart and your, where you're at and your journey and your faith with God, I want to ask you to do a couple of things, but I'm going to ask you about your Bible study time. I'm going to ask you about your prayer life. But listen, if you really, really want to get to the heart of the matter and you really want to get to where your heart is, I want you to pull out your bank statement. And I want you to tell me a story based on your bank statement. I will not marry a couple in premarital counseling, I will not marry a couple that they will not give me a balanced budget. Now, that's, they can live off it or they can just ignore it and do it as a, 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 a simple exercise for the counselor. But what I'm trying to get at is that, listen, our heart is attached to our money and we have to be aware of that. We've got to be aware because it will distort and bleed over and it will seep into our heart. That's why whenever in the Psalm 23 it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. What? want. See, even David learned contentment. Contentment is something that we have to learn. Now, you know from my stories on the stage that I'm the impulsive buyer in the family. I'm the one who's had to learn to walk away or learn to walk away and ask myself again and again, is this what I actually need or is this what I want? And I have to make sure I'm honest with myself and put it in the right bucket. I have to learn and continue to learn contentment, contentment, contentment. The insignificance of things. But number two, it leads to the sufficiency of Christ. If I'm going to learn contentment, I'm going to learn that I don't have to depend on myself. I don't have to depend on my income. It's not about what I bring to the table. It's what Christ brings to the table in me. Unless I've learned to, to live off the all-sufficiency of Christ, I will only live on my sufficiency. And when I live on my sufficiency, my sufficiency will run out. I do have an end of the bank account. I do have an end of things that I can collect. I do have an end. Of, but when I realize, I do have an end of my health. I do have an end of my strength. I do have an end of that. But I have a God who's all sufficient. And if I will lean on him and trust him. Leonard Sweet, professor at Drew University, said it like this. He said, the greater the material fullness, he's found in his walk with people, is the greater the spiritual emptiness. Paul said, I have mega joy and it's not tied to what I have, but it is tied to the God who has it all and who can do it all and who's all sufficient. 
And why I know Paul was not a Stoic, even though he had some of those Stoic tendencies of uh, of separating himself from the worldly goods out there. I know it because he wasn't doing it in and of himself. He was doing what he was doing. He was living the way he was living by the all-sufficiency of Christ in him. Verse 13, powerfully says that. Verse probably taken more out of context than any other other verse in the book of, uh, of Philippians. I can do... All things through him who strengthens me. Paul has to come to the end of himself. And he says, I can't, but you can. I won't, but you will. God, you will be the answer to what I can't find an answer to. And whenever I get away from myself, then I turn the eyes off of me and I get them onto him. And now I get it off of what I want and what I need. And now I get it onto what he has and what he needs. And listen, where God guides, he provides. And if he didn't guide you there, he probably won't provide for you there. So you need to backpedal out and you need to reevaluate. What do I need to adjust in my life to make it right? This, 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 this phrase has been used for everything from winning football games to everything else. I can do all things through Christ. But Paul's referring back to, how am I able to be content? How am I able to learn this? I learned this because I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. It's referring back to what he just talked about. And this is the way the Jerusalem Bible translates it. He says, there is nothing I cannot master with the help of the one who gives me strength. The Amplified Bible, I, like, I love this one. It says, I am ready for anything, equal to ev- anything through him who infuses inner strength into me that I am, uh, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Whenever God started calling me into ministry, I said, God, you've got the wrong number and you need to redial somebody else. And again, I won't, I'll catch everyone up to speed real quickly. Just my little story. I, I, I draw from it so much in my life, but I want to, I want to share just to catch everyone up. And I don't, I don't, anyway, it's just this, what it is. Uh, so I, I, I barely made it out of the first grade, failed the second grade. My mother said, okay, we got to get something. Something's not right here. Okay. So she got me tested, found out that I have dyslexia. And to this day, if you get an email from me and let it be a joke, okay, because there'll be all kinds of things wrong in there. I do my best to get loose and lose and choose and chose straight. I, 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 I still mess up so many things along the way and there and there and there. And how many there's are you going to have out there in the English language? Uh, you know, so I can mess up any word that you want. Uh, and it's all the more reason why, God, why'd you choose me? Stand before people. Read and then study in different languages like Hebrew and Greek. Why, 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 why are you doing, God? You got the wrong number. But one of my life verses has been Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weaknesses. My power, Mike, is made perfect in your dyslexia. Mike, I'm going to get the glory for what happens in your life, not because of what you do and your polished words and your high educated fluting languages and all that kind of stuff. No, I'm going to get the glory because they're going to know you're, you're an idiot, Mike, and that you need a lot of help. And the only way you are where you're at is because of the grace of God. 
Therefore, I will boast, not all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ would rest on me. And I can tell you today, as much as I wish I didn't have dyslexia, as much as I still struggle with all those things in life, I can still say, I can say today, honestly, that I am thankful in and I am thankful for dyslexia. It has given me mega joy to be able to say, God, you did that, you did that, you did that. There's no way I could have done that. It gives me mega joy to experience the sufficiency of Christ. But number three, whenever I start investing in others, I learn contentment. I've learned contentment whenever I realize it's not about what I get out of life, but what I'm able to give in life. And there was something about this church in Philippi. I can't wait to get to heaven and, and meet some of the believers there. I, I want to meet Epaphroditus. I, I want to meet some of the believers in Philippi. They weren't perfect. They had problems. There's a lady fight going on in there. And you can read a Philippians for yourself. But there's something that's really cool that happens with the Philippi church. They, they were generous. And Paul, again, he wasn't asking for it. In fact, Paul points back in verse 17. He says, listen, it's not because I need it, verse 17. It's not because I need it. I seek the gift for the fruit that increases to your credit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You just gave it away. How did you give it away? And now you've got credit. That's a debit. That's a debit. That's a deduction. But now you've got a credit. Now you've added to your balance. Again, I said in the very beginning, I said, this is an out of balance God because whenever we give, he all of a sudden gives back to us in ways I can't imagine. Sometimes it doesn't hit a spreadsheet. Sometimes it's just mega joy. And I tell you what, you can't buy mega joy. I like the way Joseph Addison said it. He says, what I spent, I lost. What I possessed, I left to others. But what I gave away remains with me. A life principle that we all need to learn is I get more out of giving than I do out of keeping. The generosity factor is one of those things that you want to mark a person with mega joy, there will be incredible doses of generosity. Gracious generosity. On a regular basis, it's not just this one-off. But I thank God because when you look at verse 14 and 15, he tells us exactly what Paul was doing with what was given from the church of Philippi. Don't miss this yet. It was kind of you to share. I like that. It's a partnership. We're in it together when you share something. I'm over here. You're over there. You're doing your part. I'm doing my part. I like the way William Carey, the founder of the modern missionary movement, said it like this. He said, I'm going down into a pit. He told the church in America, you hold the rope. That's sharing the load. He went down the pit. We hold the rope as they go. I share in my trouble. And you Philippians, again, he got real personal with them. You yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, again, Macedonia, northern part of Greece, when I left Macedonia, no church, no church, no church, entered in to a partnership with me in giving and in receiving except you only. Now he draws a line in the sand. Not every church is made equal. Not every church is going to do this. But listen, Philippi church, Philippian church, you did it. You partnered in. You got, you became part. We shared in this load together. What was this load? It was getting the gospel out. It was getting the good news of Christ where it had never gone before. 
And I can tell you right now, you flip a coin, I'm not talking to you about any church out there, but you can flip a coin and I know we could be there in a heartbeat. The, the self-centeredness of churches, it matches the self-centeredness of our society. It's all about us and let's take care of our own. I thank God for churches like Philippi who partner in the gospel to the nations. Because if you go and you read Acts chapter 16, you'll find when Paul was in Philippi. And you'll find where Lydia becomes a believer. You'll find where a Philippian jailer becomes a believer. You'll find where this movement of God begins to happen in Philippi. And these believers start happening. Obviously, Epaphras becomes a believer. And so you have these believers becoming, and they all come together as a church in Philippi. And they got a hold of this. And we need to be about the nations. If you remember the story, because the story starts off in 16, but it goes in 17. And Paul is chased out of town after being beaten. And he goes about maybe, I don't know what was there a year ago, maybe, maybe, maybe 75 miles, maybe to, to another town called Thessaloniki. And he's there and we talked about it last week and there was a great revival happened and great things started happening in Thessalonica and in Acts chapter, uh, um, where is it at? In Acts chapter 17 verse four, it says this, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did many great devout Greeks and a few leading women. Listen, thank God for partnering churches like Philippi who believe in the gospel for the nations. But the gospel didn't stop in Philippi. It didn't stop in Thessalonica because they were chased out of town. And the gospel goes to Berea. And Paul goes to Berea and he shares. Paul and Silas go to Berea in verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 11 of chapter 17. They receive the word and the eagerness and the examining the scriptures daily in, to see if these things were so. Many believed in Berea. Thank God for the churches like Philippi who partner in the gospel to the nations. And the gospel didn't end there. It went from Philippi, it goes to Thessaloniki, it goes to Berea. Berea, he gets on a boat and he goes around the, the, the side and he ends up in the city of Athens. And he ends up in the city, in the, in the market, in the agora of the city. And he sees the philosophers philosophizing. And he hears all, he sees all the gods that they have erected in, in, in this Greek culture. And he gets in, and he gets in with the crowds, the, 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 the Stoics. He gets in with the, uh, with the philosophers. He gets in with the Areopagus and he, he begins to preach the gospel. They take him up and they hold a, a court on, on, on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. And he preaches the gospel to them in the city of Athens. And you know what happened in the city of Athens? Chapter 32, verse 34, is exactly what happens today. And they heard of the resurrection of the dead. Some mocked, not everyone's going to believe. Others said that we will hear this again. They're not quite there yet. They're in process. They're on the way there. So Paul went out into their midst, but some men joined him and believed. And among whom was Dionysus, the Aragopite, and a woman named Dermis and others with them. And I think about this, thank God for the churches who partner with the gospel, the nations. And you know what goes on from there is because God, Paul is, in the, is actually in Rome. He's in prison in Rome and a beautiful thing happens. The church of Philippi continues to support what Paul's doing to the nations and now they're sending a gift. And we just read about that. He's sending a gift all the way to Rome. And you know what a beautiful thing that happens? 
is the gospel doesn't stop in Rome. Thank God for the churches, the partner in getting the gospel to the nations. Because the gospel then goes to Western Europe and the gospel goes from Western Europe across this great big pond to America and it made it into America sometime past and because the gospel continued to spread, it made it down to the south and it made it down into Arkansas and it made it down into to Rogers and it made it down into Montana Baptist Church and it made it down and Mike McDaniel heard the gospel on March 8th in 1976 and the gospel seed was planted. Thank God for the churches. The partner with the gospel to the nations. Can I get an amen? I got saved on that day. <laughs> I wonder, was it Lydia who got saved back in Acts chapter 16? And on the very first Sunday when her and her family filed into church and she gave an offering. Was that the offering that got it to Philippi, that got it to Berea, that got it to Athens, that got it to Rome, that got it to Western Europe, that got it to America, that got it to Arkansas, that got it to Montanay Baptist Church, that got it into the heart of Mike McDaniel. Who gave that first offering? I wonder who my offering is going to impact for generations to come. You know what's really cool right now? I I got a text this morning from our team that's standing on Mars Hill right there. And you know what they're doing right now? They're preparing in the city of Athens for a Christmas party where 300, maybe 400 Muslims will gather in a room about one third size of this room. I was talking to Tyrion yesterday. He said, I don't know how we're going to do it. But they're going to share the gospel with a bunch of people who've given up on God. Folks, our offerings make a difference. Our life makes a difference. It impacts people's lives here and around the world. There's a generosity that comes. And I'm going to ask you that between now, because we're going to, we're going to take up an offering tomorrow night. It's going to go back to Athens. It's going to go back to the Syrian refugees. It's going to go back to presenting the gospel. And I want to know, are you going to be a part of that? This is not a call just for the offering. This is a call for you and me to learn contentment. Because this world is not going to call us to that. I want to close with one quote. By Leonard Sweet again. He said it like this. It is only by slight of soul that we can conceive ourselves any longer that money brings happiness. We eat better than ever. We dress better. We drive better. We live better. But we are not happier than our ancestors were. We are not more noble than they were. We are not holier than they were. We are not even smarter about the facts of life than they were. We do not love better. We do not die better. If we do not learn contentment, we will not live a better life. We will live a more frustrated, empty life. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to sing about our mighty God. And I'm just going to give you the time and this space and this time to, to reflect and to pray and to, 
consider what God is saying to you about himself and about yourself. And at the end, Andrew's going to close us, lead us, send, send us out. And if you, if you must, don't leave. Don't leave. This is a time where we all do business with God. Don't, no, no, there's no rush to do business with God. This is your time. We give it back to you every week, not to rush out, but to do business with God. When it's all over, I'm going to be hanging out here at the front. I'm going to ask a couple of my prayer partners just to hang out here at the front. If you've got any spiritual questions, questions about God, questions about a relationship with God, questions about what next needs to be for you in your faith and life, come see one of us. Father God, you know where we're at. I want mega joy for everyone in this room. May we not miss you in search for more.